Anybody know what book we're going to be in tonight, just out of curiosity? Anybody look at the web page? You like that? Uh, my name is Randy Ray. Before we get started, I'm the, one of the senior high youth ministers. If you don't have kids, that's why we don't know each other yet. I really am on staff. When you have high school kids, um, you will more than know me, probably. But it's a delight to be with you this evening. Let me start by asking you this question. <clears throat> I hate going to the mall, but go with my loving wife. Um, when she deems necessary. And for those of you who like to go, have you ever noticed the woman, or really the kid, who is just, who's got that harness on, you know, attached to his mom, just running as fast as he can to get away, and she's like this and on the cell phone? Anybody ever seen one of those? Have you ever seen one of those? Get me, get me one. Uh, we are now in the market. <clears throat> I used to look at that and think, that is cruel. Why would you walk your son around the mall on a leash like a dog. That's until I had one. Now I can't find one. Because that's the way they are. Into everything. Thursday on my day off, the reason why I tell you that, we went to the Chinese restaurant. That you know, Every time you leave the parking lot now, there are menus under your windshield, the place up the street. Uh, we went there and it took forever and our son tore up half the restaurant like an hour and a half later. And we're on the way back. We're going to stop in my office to look at something. My office is in the back down the hallway, so if you, if you ever park back there, you know there's that long, narrow sidewalk that you have to travel down before you get to our office. Anyway, we're, we're making our way down it, and we get our son out of the car, and we place him on the sidewalk, and he walks like four steps, and then it had rained that day, and is in the grass, and filthy. And we're like, all right, we'll try this again. We pick him up, four steps, and now he's in the flower bed, covered in mud. Same thing goes on and on until we finally get to the door. And as with all of my kids, I'm always sitting there going, okay, that's an illustration. I will definitely be able to use that. Here's why I tell you these weird things. My son, believe it or not, illustrates us tonight. How in the world? Let me read you. Don't turn here yet. This is the last verse out of a text we're going to study tonight in Ecclesiastes. Who's ever studied Ecclesiastes at church before? This only have I found. God made mankind upright. But men have gone in search of many schemes. Anybody want to disagree with that this evening? In the garden, yes. But every time we sin, especially when we fall into habitual sin, that's really what we're doing. Deviating from the path. And here's the reason why I think. I think if we were to be really honest tonight at church about our sin, we would say this. We deviate because we don't believe that obedient living will satisfy us. And so therefore, we deviate to the extremes. We chase new schemes. I kept running after my son Thursday afternoon, number one, because I'm his father and I didn't want him to get my, my office messy. Um, but, but more than that, because obviously I love him. And I don't want to see him fall in the mud puddle. And I don't want to see him get caught in the thorn bushes and fall in the rock. And so every time he deviates, I go after him in the same way. The gospel is good news for us this evening because our heavenly Father brings us back when we stray. Does he allow us to stray at times? Absolutely. But we are loved and cared for. One of the ways that the Father brings us back, there are many ways. Um, I think we all have scars to prove. 
of ways that he's brought us back and we've deviated. One of the ways that's found in this text, though, is wisdom. One of the ways he brings us back, or one of the ways that he even harnesses us before we deviate, is wisdom. Which, for the purpose of the study, I realize we're not studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Every time he mentions the word wisdom, he's talking about skills for living life that God intends. Skills that allow us to live life, or insight that allows us to live life, the way that God intends. Well, how does God use wisdom to bring us back? Better yet, how does he use wisdom to keep us from straying? Let me have you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to pick up right in the middle of the chapter, uh, verses, at verse 15. Let's turn our attention to God's Word. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous. Neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked. Do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes the wise man more powerful than ten rulers of a city. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turn my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. If you're sitting with your wife, you are not allowed to elbow her from this point down. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered, adding one thing to another. Discovered a scheme of things. While I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man amongst a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. Let's close and go home. This only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Oh my, have we. Let's, um, let's pray before we study this text. Heavenly Father, we come um, this evening and many of us scarred by sin of the weak and, and, and things that have caused us to be depressed and, <clears throat> Father, things that have caused great pain and sorrow in our lives and some decisions stem from things that we did on our own and, and others are... are effects of things that have happened to us. And Father, we come here tonight knowing that you are our Father and knowing that you are good and knowing that you are the source of truth. We pray that you would grant us grace to understand and apply what is here for us in this text by the Spirit, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. And this 14 verses that's incredibly odd. Um, I've not found a woman upright. Of course, that's odd um, because we know there are some who are many who are. Anytime dealing with Ecclesiastes, it, it is a 
It is a whirlwind to find out what is he talking about and what's going on, and we'll do that. But in this 14 verses, there are three benefits of wisdom. There are three benefits of wisdom or skills for living life as God intends that harness our need to search out many quote-unquote new schemes. I want to pull those out for you. The first is this. Wisdom provides balance. Okay, what does that mean? Or rather, why do we need balance? I think the reason is this. When we seek out other schemes... When we deviate from the path, we generally tend to extremes, don't we? But if we're going to venture off, we venture off. We see this in our text in verses 15 to 18. Let's walk through it together briefly. In my own vain life, again, he is looking back upon this period, Solomon is, of life that he has spent separated or wandering, I guess would be a better word, from the life that God intends in regards to obedient living. The period characterized by his own scheming, we might say. So in this vain life, in this life void of meaning where I have chased opposite of the things of God, I've seen everything, he would say. I've actually seen the entire spectrum. And then he goes on to give us an example in verse 15, what have you seen since you've seen so many things? A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. We would say the good dying young and the wicked living on and on and on in their sin. Polar extremes indeed. Therefore, he tells us sarcastically but yet seriously in verse 16, don't be over-righteous. If the good die young... The last thing that you want to do is be over-righteous. Of course, he's being sarcastic. How do you be over-righteous? I think he's got in mind hypocrisy, or we might look forward to say Pharisaism or legalism even. Don't be too righteous or too wise because since some of the good die young, you just might be contributing to an early death. And you better not be too wicked. Because not all of them get to flourish into old age. I mean, you just might be the one who gets justice in your wickedness. Now, he's spoken with great sarcasm. He is not advocating that if you came here tonight in, in, a, in a great state of, of obedience today, go send some on your way home because you really want to balance it out. Obviously, that's not what he's saying. What is he saying? Solomon's well acquainted with God's sovereignty. It's God's providence that degrees when life would end. But here's his point. He's used a hypothetical example to plead for living in the middle, for living in the balance, not for chasing extremes. Why? Look at verse 18. It is good to grasp one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. It is good to live in the balance, in the middle, on the path... And the way to remain there is by fearing God. That's the whole context of where we, or where we are in the study of this book. It's very interesting. That's obviously the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. How do we remain in the balance? By living life as God intends. Extremities of wandering are avoided when we fear God, when we live our lives obediently. The, the, that we can all say that's great. Thanks for telling us that. Here's the big question. Do we really believe it? 
Do we really believe that the life God intends for us to live is the best life for us? Do we believe that it's better than the extremes? Here's a question for all of us. Who have the scars from college life to prove that life as God intends is really the best for us? Am I the only one? I mean, I can attest that now. I kind of grew up doing things the right way. And I got to my freshman semester of college and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do some things I've never done. It's college. And that lasted for about two months. And it was terrible. Extremes aren't where you want to spend your lives. But I'll agree with that. The life that God intends for you to live in Christ is to be found in the balance according to His Word and mandate for our lives. We want to do extremes when we're not satisfied with the life He's provided. When it's not really going the way that we approve. Here's my plea for you this evening, first of all. As Paul exhorts, when the tendency to wander begins to creep up in our own hearts, we must preach to our souls contentment in Thee. Contentment in the life lived obediently to the degrees that God has laid forth for us. Because even though it might not seem best for us at the time, I trust you. I trust that you're sovereign. I trust that you're truth. And I trust that you're good. But it doesn't seem to me that way at this point. Wisdom grants us balance to avoid the temptations to chase after extremes. Secondly, this evening, wisdom provides strength. Why do we need strength? He's insinuating that we're all weak. Very interesting at the end of main point one, I didn't say, you know what? Just buck up tomorrow morning when you have a tendency to chase the extremes. Just don't do it. That would be foolish. It's not that easy. If we didn't like sin, it wouldn't be hard to fight it. If it wasn't enticing, it wouldn't be hard not to chase after it. It is out of our weakness that we seek out other schemes. Let's acknowledge our weakness together this morning. And Solomon does this brilliantly. He begins this in verse 19. Wisdom makes one man wise, more powerful than ten rulers of a city. Okay, we got that. Wisdom, if we were to compare the two, inward skills for living that one man possesses, has greater strength in living life as God intends than ten rulers of a city who aren't wise. Now he's going to illustrate our need for wisdom. Verse 20, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Why do we scheme? Because we're sinners. Let's continue though, in case you're not convinced that you are. This is what's genius to me. Think, if you were going to give an example to everyone that you know, that you have transgressed God's holiness and sin. I mean, there's, you better pick a really good one. Look at what he does. This is genius under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Don't pay attention to every word people say or you may hear your servant cursing you. That's interesting. Don't eavesdrop because you really might hear someone that you're very close to, someone that you're probably intimate with that knows the ins and outs of your life curse you. Here's what's unbelievable. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Don't eavesdrop on people. Why not? 
Because you yourself have cursed others, not only as they did in gossiping, but even in your thoughts. Oh. Anybody, nobody ever done that? Nobody ever thought a bad thought? So we're all on the same ground. Everyone's weak. Everyone needs strength. You know that in your heart, many times you yourself have cursed others. We're all guilty, and therefore this weakness of ours makes seeking out wisdom even more difficult. Look at what he says in verses 23 to 25. All of this I tested by wisdom, and I said I'm determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. I'm seeking out to plummet the depths of wisdom, but it's beyond my understanding, is basically what he's saying. Whatever it is, I can't find it, so now I'm going to turn to something I can understand. Sin. Verse 24, Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom in the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. Alright, what did he find? Verse 26, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, and whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chained. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Very interesting statement. Here's why. Solomon had 700 concubines. Solomon had 300 wives. A thousand. At his disposal. Um, he took sexual extremes to a new level, probably. And all of this pursuit of sexual pleasure with over a thousand different women, we would easily conclude, here's what he found. It was more bitter to my soul than death. Sin never promises us that, does it? It, it sure didn't me. Yeah, come on and chase it. This is what you want. Doesn't this entice you? Doesn't this look good? Come on and chase me. Come on and really, come on and take a, a gamble with your family, your job, your relationship to your Heavenly Father. Never does sin tell us, once you have me in your grasp, I will be as bitter to your soul as death. You know, it might not be sexual encounters for you, and I hope this evening that it's not. But what is it? What is it that you chase after when you're weak and discontent with the way life's going at the present? What do you chase like mad? That really what's tucked in the back of your mind is if I just get that, that'll do it. If I can just get that, that'll satisfy it. Where do we go to find strength in our weakness in order to avoid disobedient wanderings? Verse 26 tells us, the man who pleases God will escape her. You want strength provided for you through your union with Christ to avoid such wanderings? Then please God. You could stop there and that would be very moralistic. Live obediently within the balance for our life provided by His Word. Again, stress to your souls before the wandering begins. This is not good for me. 
And then this is what makes it not moralism. Plead with the Father for grace. I can't tell you simply, don't chase after those things because you don't have the power not to do that. Plead with the Father based on the merits of the Son because Christ has earned an answer to this. Because of course you want to bless holy living. Grant me grace. Grant me strength. Do not chase after such foolish things. Wisdom grants us strength in our weakness. Lastly this evening, wisdom indeed provides restraining grace. Wisdom is ultimately, by God's grace, the harness in our lives that can restrain us from wandering. And this is the theme of verses 27 to 28 that are incredibly odd. Look, says the teacher, this is what I've discovered. So after all of these thoughts and after all of these wanderings up to this point in the text, here's what he's saying. Listen to me. This is what I know. Amidst all of my wanderings, this is what I found out. And now he's going to illustrate what he knows in verse 28. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things, while I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man amongst a thousand, but not one upright woman amongst them all. Let me tell you the point of this. The point is not that he couldn't find an upright woman. The point is his batting average. He's a male. He should understand the way men are put together. And what he's saying is, when I add up all of my wonderings, this is the conclusion that I came to. I don't understand anything. I get maybe one out of every thousand men, hypothetically, for purpose of illustration, that I'm like. But out of a thousand women, I don't understand any of them. The purpose that he is making is he doesn't understand much. One out of a thousand, according to his own, isn't very good. If I can't understand my own better than one out of a thousand, how in the world would I understand women? All of this he's saying. He doesn't know. Building up to verse 29. Look, I don't, I don't know a lot, but let me tell you what I do know. Let me tell you what you can learn from my scars. This only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. What I do know because of my own experience is that all sin on our part is a deviation from what God created us to be. Do we believe that? Then how does grace harness us from wondering? How does wisdom keep us from wondering? I guess you may be well acquainted with the phrase 10, 15 minutes of fame. Let me tell you my 15 minutes of fame. I really got ripped off if I don't get 15 more minutes. Um, there's a band. You, a lot of you probably don't even know of them. Um, I was in high school. My best friend was in this band that just recently got big. And they're playing. They're touring with this band. It's called Skillet. And Anybody heard of them? I'm not going to go into it. You have? Good. He and I are best friends and whatnot. My claim to fame, now that they're big and on a big label and are going to make it huge... I was in the band in high school that kicked out Skillet. Kicked out my best friend whose band becomes this great band. That's, that's me, if you ever hear about it. That was it. I'll tell you that to tell you this. One of their first magazine articles, one of their first write-ups um, with an album they had come out with a song called Locked in a Cage that the this, this secular magazine had compared their lyrics to the lyrics of a band called Smashing Pumpkins. Now, amaze me that somebody's heard of them. Yeah, I'm shocked. 
Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan, had a song, and one of the lyrics in his song was, Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. That's, you want to know the life of Billy Corgan, that's it in a line. Everything he says, his worldview is channeled into the fact that, look, at the end of the day, it's so frustrating, and I have no more purpose and significance and value than a lab rat locked in a cage. And our youth ate it up. So, yeah, that's us. That song's being compared to my friend's song called Locked in a Cage. And they're going to make this great distinction over how these two different artists view a cage and life. Let me read you a couple of lyrics from the song. And remember, this is being compared with Billy Corgan's All Life Is Is You're a Lab Rat in a Cage. Listen to this. I want to be locked in a cage. I want to be strapped in a chair. I want to be where you are if my insanity comes. I want to break my legs in case a thought to escape. Keep the hammer out of my reach if my pounding impulse comes. I want to be caught by you. I want to be trapped in your arms. Your cage is rest for my bones. Wrapped up inside your arms. Locked up inside of you. Hold me down because I want to know you. You bring calm to my rage. You are life and I'm thirsting for you. Hold me, hold me, locked in a cage. Vastly different views. Here's the difference tonight. Which way do you view the life that God intends for you? Is the way that He intends so constraining and so not fun? Does it sap your ability to live? Or is it the grace that harnesses your proneness to wonder. By grace, wisdom restrains our tendency to wonder. I challenge you with this. If God is truth, if He is good and a loving Father, through our union with Christ, we must view life daily as He intends. Life as He intends, we could say, is the cage. It's rest for our bones. It's good for us. It keeps us from deviating and wandering into things that when we grasp will be more bitter to our souls than death. Obedient living is good for your soul. I hope that this will impact the way that you live life for God's glory. I really do, but I don't want to be insensitive. I'm aware that, that possibly someone has made their way into this room that sit there and think, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what it's like to be me. I want you to leave with this. A chord is still resonating inside of you from verse 20. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. It strikes a chord, doesn't it? Even if you want to run from that, even if you want to deny that, there is a problem and it's called sin. You've sinned. You know you've sinned. You've had an evil thought before, as have the rest of us. Here's the question. How are you to be made right with this holy God that you've offended? The good news of the Gospel is found for you this evening in 1 Corinthians 1.30. But God has brought you into union with Jesus Christ. And God has made Christ to be our wisdom. By Him we are put right with God and we become God's holy people. 
and are set free. You want to be right with the Father? You want to be right with this God that you've offended? Aren't you tired of the bitterness of extremes that are as painful to your soul as death? Of course you are. You bear the marks too. They don't work, do they? My friends, you must come to Christ. You must be united to Christ by faith. You'll have Him as your wisdom. There's no other way. You can now have all that is His by faith in His life and death and resurrection on your behalf. Everything that is Christ. You can lay hold of and claim to as yours by faith. But you must come to Christ. Close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we have somewhere to anchor the complexities of life with truth. And we bless You for that. Pray for myself and and for the rest of these individuals and married couples. Grant us grace this week as we are so prone to wander, as we are so prone to deviate from the life that you have set for us in obedience. We beg, harness our tendencies to wander by your grace. Lord, we do pray for those who have found their ways here this evening by some manner that disagree. Pray that by your grace you would reveal to them your sin, their sin. There can be no other way to be made right with you than by faith in Christ. Pray that they would come to see that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.